You know the vibes. Welcome back to another week here at the Hoop Genius Podcast brought to you by NBA 2K24. You can hit the link in our description and get your copy of NBA 2K24. I am Momutsi. Alongside me, as always, is the three-time NBA champion, Mr. BJ Armstrong, and our weekly guest, the one and only Parking Lot Perry. Mr. Scott Perry, NBA executive <laughs> in the building. How you guys doing? Man, I'm doing great. I, I, I look forward to that every week. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get a T-shirt made that says "Parking Lot Pay." Hey, it's on the way. It's on the way, bro. It's on the way. <laughs> you guys had a good week. Yeah, I had a good week, man. Had a good week. Really good week, man. Excellent. So I, I was out in Paris for the NBA Paris games, Brooklyn Nets and the Cleveland Cavaliers. That was a fun experience. But uh, while I was out there, my phone was blowing up. I had all these Raptor fans hitting me up saying, "Mo, you got to talk about this on the podcast." Mo, this is outrageous. So I don't know if you guys saw the Lakers and the Raptors game the other night uh, where the Lakers had an extraordinary advantage in the free throw shooting department or even the free throw attempt department. Um, And a lot of Raptors fans were not very happy about that. Did you guys see that game? I definitely watched that game. I really watched that game from start to finish. And a few things that I saw. Number one, obviously the Raptors were playing without Jacob Pirtle. So Thaddeus Young was having to start at the the center position. And the Lakers, rightfully so, really attacked the paint, mainly with Anthony Davis and and LeBron James in a complimentary style to to it as well. And really set the tone for the game physically inside because they were uh, overmatched. Uh, The Raptors were overmatched. Just didn't have anybody of size to match up with, with Davis. He did what he needed to do. He was physical. He drew a lot of contact, drew fouls legitimately. However, I thought the Raptors were just as aggressive attacking the paint at the other side. They outscored the Lakers in the paint. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they were really attacking that paint hard all night long. And then, you know, when it got to the fourth quarter, to see the discrepancy in free throws, Mm. I think the, the Lakers took 23 free throws. The Raptors took just two. So there... I understood the anger and how upset the coach, Coach Darko was during the game, because I watched him. He was upset during the game with the officiating. And then after the game, when he mm. really went on that uh, extended rant and uh, ultimately got fined for it, uh, you hate to see such a large discrepancy. I had no problem with the Lakers going to the line, but I thought there was a, a number of missed opportunity calls for the Raptors it's you know when both teams are playing aggressive there shouldn't be that big a disparity in the number of free throws shot and uh that was their problem I thought uh legitimately they had a uh had a gripe in that area and it it was and it ended up costing them for the game so uh I understand why your Raptors friends were were calling upset with that game and um and, but well, hey, it's in the know, books now, and the Lakers won the game. A portion of that was the Raptors intentionally fouling. However, at the end, at the very yeah, end, and the that's, very that's end totally, yeah, that's the last yeah, minute yeah, I have. So however, let's take away six. That, take that's take what away the Lakers said, right? Exactly. However, some things I noticed. It wasn't so much the fouls that the Lakers were getting. There just wasn't a consistency on the other side. The Raptors exactly. weren't getting the same call. And one thing that was very interesting to me is there was a couple of possessions 
where the referees would wait to see if the Lakers' shot attempt went in or not before blowing a whistle for the foul. And we all know, you know, when a referee sees contact, they blow the whistle for the foul. Usually the ball's in the air or it's before, like, the shot's really been released. But that kind of caught my eye. And then, as you said, Scott, uh, the coach of the Raptors went off after the game and went on a little rant. BJ, from a player's perspective, you know, seeing your coach go out there to the media and I think he got fined $25,000 for this. Yes, yes. You know, putting yes, himself mm -hmm. on the line in terms of that uh, to criticize the officials. What does that do for the locker room and the belief those players have in that coach? Well, guys, I, I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit. You know, Mo, I don't know if you know this or not, but Scott knows this. My dad is an official. BJ? He was an official. Every listener to the show knows this because you've told okay. us this many, many yes. times. <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to clarify. So I, I definitely have, you know, I have compassion for officiating because I would see my own father, how upset he would be when he had missed calls. Okay. He would be upset. And and it bothered him. It would bother him. He'd get on the phone with his friends. What could he do to make sure he got the call correct? So forth and so on. However, you ask from a player's perspective, you know, when one team has 36 free throws and the other team has 13, and I know that other team, meaning the Toronto Raptors, they were attacking that paint, mm -hmm. as you guys have clarified. I mean, they mm -hmm. were, they, they weren't just settling. They, they were playing were, some very nice basketball. Oh, they were great. attacking the basket and getting to the paint. And there were a number of what I could see from my own television set of missed calls. I mean, just clear now. Yeah. Whether or not they want to, you know, they have their, you know, system where they send it back to what Secaucus or wherever they wherever they send mm -hmm. it. But there were a number of missed calls. OK, so in saying this, what does this mean? I think what the coach did, I thought was terrific because he stood up for his guys and he put his money where his mouth was. He took the fine, but it had to be said because that's an opportunity in a moment, an opportunity to anyone who's coached, who's listening is you have to stand up and fight for your team because those guys were playing extremely hard. And in my opinion, they played well enough to win the game on the road and they were giving maximum effort. So I love the fact that he, took that fine he verbally displayed his displeasure with the cause but more importantly he had to me that was a building or a moment where he's building trust and all of those things with his team in that moment even in defeat because you're constantly coaching so to me that was an exercise of leadership I thought he displayed leadership. I thought he said what he had to say through the media because Scott can attest to this. When you are an executive or a coach, sometimes you got to talk through the media. So I thought it was an excellent display of leadership. I thought it was terrific coaching. However, you don't like the public uh, uh, criticism. However, that was a moment in time where I thought it was necessary to let everyone know, oh, we're here. Mm -hmm. And his team needed to hear that from him. So you move on. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. I'm not holding it against the officials. However, right. in that instance, I thought that was an excellent display of gamesmanship and what needed to happen in a leadership position. 
I thought he needed to say that for his team to have credibility when he faces those guys in the locker room to say, you know what, coaches, you know, he, he's rolling with us. And even mm-hmm. though he knows better, I thought he had to do that in that moment. Scott, from an organizational perspective, when you're in the front mm-hmm. office, when mm-hmm. things like this occur, what's the process kind of behind the scenes? Is there a way to, you know, put a complaint to the league? Because we know that the Lakers, who typically get favorable calls, if you remember the bubble, uh, when they played the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals, they actually wrote a letter to the league complaining about the way the games were officiating. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we did see slightly different officiating after that in that series. So what's the mm-hmm. process, you know, from the front office perspective? Oh, no. From the front office perspective, you have what they call a, a, a TIW, which is a team inquiry website, that after each game, and obviously this, this is available to, to all the teams, you submit what you deem to be questionable calls from the night before might be one or two calls. It could be 20 calls. And then the league must then respond to you, you know, within 24 to 48 hours after they've studied those calls that you sent. And a lot of times what you'll get back, you'll get back either. No, we saw it this way. So that was the correct call by the official, or they may say that was a mistaken call for, for the official. What this whole process is supposed to do is just to have healthy communication back and forth between league and team. And it's an educational tool for those officials. And um, and so that has been in place for a number of years now. I, I think it's probably utilized much more by teams. If it gets bad enough, uh, you know, you'll get on the phone. I'll get, get on the phone to to powers that be in this case now would be Joe Dumars mm-hmm. <laughs> who's at, at, the, at, the, at the head of it and give him a call and, and express uh, uh, my sentiments as to what I felt went on and register my strong feelings and complaints. And, and then, you know, Joe would either agree, push back, whatever the case may be. But uh, that, that really is the, the, the process in this entirety uh, in terms of trying to just to, get the games to be better officiated. Uh, and, and, you know, the, and what I will say about this in officiating, look, and, and, and BJ talked a little bit of, about it with his dad being official. Officiating is a tough job. It is an extremely tough job. And a lot of times it's a thankless job. And what I would say is when they're not the story of the game. You know, they became the story of the game. That's what the league doesn't want, what the teams don't want. They became Mm -hmm. more of the story of the game in that um, Lakers-Raptors game, just like that same night. uh, They were a little bit of the story in the uh, Pacers and and, um, Boston Celtics game. Yeah. So you don't want that. So most of the times we don't get that. So what that is saying to you, the officiating by and large was – okay or balanced out enough throughout the course of the game not to say that it weren't missed calls but there were no calls that anybody felt that influenced the outcome of a game and that's really what you you you're trying to avoid you don't want the story to be this particular call or, or this particular pattern of calls favorite one team so strongly that it influenced the outcome of a game well, the NBA releases the last two minutes report every day. Um, and Joe Mazzulla, after the Pacers Celtics game, said, I'm not saying anything. I'm just waiting until four o'clock tomorrow. 
um, where the, the the referees review the last two minutes of the game and whether they got the calls right or wrong. Um, the ending of that Celtic Spaces game, if you guys didn't see it, was Jalen Brown um, taking an important shot with not much time left on the clock in a tied game. He gets hit in the back of the head whilst Buddy Heald, I think, is trying to block the shot. Uh, Buddy Heald said to Joe Mazzula after the game that he hit him on the head. However, <laughs> the ref said that it was a clean block. They challenged the call. The ref said it was a clean block. And then the last two minutes report also didn't call it a foul. So at some point, teams and fans are going to lose their faith in the officiating. And the way you see the game being refereed today with some of the fouls that are given is just getting out of hand. Do you think we're at a point where we're risking the integrity of the game because of what some of these referees are now calling? I don't think we're going to risk the integrity of the game. Obviously, you know, the outrage is not good for the game. Uh, but keep in mind this. The NBA, even though they sent back, and this is just my, this is Scott Perry's personal feeling, even though they sent back that report saying, no, it wasn't a foul from our perspective, trust me, internally, they're having some strong conversations with those officials and trying to clean that up, if you will, even though they haven't publicly admitted to, you know, what is going on but well, uh, well, well, it makes me laugh yeah, because if you remember yeah. the Celtics Lakers game from last season where mm. Tatum fouled LeBron at the end and they said it wasn't a foul the referee's official Twitter account put out an apology to the Lakers saying that they'll strive to be better <laughs> um, yeah. it's just interesting to me uh, I don't oh, want to yeah. hear a Laker yeah. fan ever complain about referees but oh no well, well look I, I I will say this and, and, and this is, and I've never been able to really say this publicly before and BJ will appreciate this as you know because obviously I've always been on the team side but let, let's let's face it um, and I think it's kind of a unwritten understanding if you will if you've got star players on your team and I've long believed that there's, again, not that there's any, quote unquote, there's no cheating going on, but the star players, the, that name on the back of the jersey, sometimes is going to get more of the benefit of the doubt than the 14th, 15th man on some roster out there playing. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. Because, look, it's a business. People are paying to see these stars play. And they want to see them be successful. So I think, you know, and start, in a, look, the stars didn't always have it when they first came in the league either. They had to earn their right to get the benefit of the doubt of some of these wrestlers. And I don't know if BJ agrees with all this. He played with one of the biggest stars in the league. But I, I, I from where I've sat all these years, um, I've always felt that, you know, again, the back of the jersey uh, meant a little something. I'm not saying to every official, but to a number of officials. And, and again, when it comes to close calls, uh, that back of the jersey would get a benefit uh, of said calls. I mean, this is one thing we spoke about, BJ, because I know you don't want to say anything about that. Well, one thing that we spoke about, you know, the NBA partnering with sports betting companies and the prominence of betting in sports now, this is one thing now that fans in particular are very much raising their eyebrows at. And I'm not saying it happens, but now with sports betting being so prominent, if a player's line is to score over 30 points and they end up getting a whole bunch of free throws that helps them get that 30 points, it could cause the integrity of the game to be called into question. But over in Miami, 
Eric Spolster received a $120 million extension that will keep him mm. with the Miami Heat for the next eight mm. years. It's not just the most amount of money that's been committed to an NBA head coach. It's the most amount of money committed to a North American coach of any sport. Now, Greg Popovich signed an $80 million extension with the Spurs last summer. So he's making more money per year. However, the length of Spurs' contract, meaning that he makes about $15 million a year. So total, you know, in terms of his total salary, He's making the most. The next on the list is Detroit's Monty Williams, who has finessed his way to $78.5 million on his contract. And then Steve Kerr at $9.5 million per year. And it's interesting that, you know, the four highest paid coaches in the league, three of them are on teams that are playing pretty awful right now. Um, so Eric Spolster. Did I see shots fired? I saw shots fired. It's just a fact. You have a great way of just slipping... Yeah, information in there, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so Scott, what well, you don't know, Scott, is I went to law school. So you know, when you when you uh, okay. this, you need to let the jury, yeah. you need to let the people no, just, know the context. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, the situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> as Eric Spolster is the, one of the top four paid coaches in the league, mm -hmm. and he's the only one who's doing a winning job this season. I want to uh, know what you guys see. You know, Scott, you've hired many coaches mm -hmm. over your time as an executive. Mm -hmm. BJ, as a player, you've played under great coaches. What does Eric Spolster do that allows him to take teams every season that outperform their expectations? Uh, a few things, but first of all, let me just publicly congratulate Coach Spolster. Well-deserved. I think he's, you know, one of the finest, if not the finest coach in the game right now. And uh, the Miami Heat organization recognizes that. A couple of things that come to play here. Eric Spolstra understands how to set a standard of performance that he holds everybody in that building accountable to, players and coaches. He also has very clear and consistent communication. As BJ will attest to, that is huge when you're coaching a basketball team. Players look for consistency of message. Every single day, I don't care whether it's practice, shoot around, games, and I think Coach Sprostra has demonstrated that over his long career thus far. Thirdly, I think a good coach, and Sprostra has this, you have to have the ability to adapt to a lot of different personalities that come your way in the locker room. Uh, because every player is not going to be the same. Every player is not going to learn the same. Every player is not going to respond to certain coaching the same. You have to have the ability to meet each player where he's at at that particular time when he comes to your team and then figure out how you're going to develop him and his ability so that he can maximize his talent as a player that ultimately helps maximize the team's ability to win basketball games. A uh, couple of, you know, examples. I mean, if you, you've watched Spolster over his career, he, you know, he's managed, had to manage star players, you know, from, you know, Dwayne Wade in the beginning and Shaq to when getting LeBron. and He's, uh, he's the Chris, only coach Chris that Bosch. survived, survived LeBron. We all know when yeah, LeBron yeah. don't want to coach, they're gone. Yeah. And Eric Spolster's the only one who, when LeBron wanted him gone, Pat Riley yeah. said no. And he's and now you've got Jimmy Butler that's come in who, who was, you know, people thought was difficult to uh, coach and manage. And you see what that has yielded. You know, the guys have gone to a couple of uh, finals. So he's shown that ability. 
and um, to be able to do that. And then lastly, you know, you you talk about I think one of his special talents uh, is taking those players that a, a lot of other teams didn't want, didn't think were good enough to be NBA players. But I think, you know, he has a way of instilling confidence in them and identifying, okay, I can help develop this one particular niche skill that will help this player, you know, the player do that at a level that's NBA level, yet fit into the overall good for our team, whether it's shooting, whether it's rebounding, whether it's defending. And he embraces that, gives those guys confidence in doing that. So uh, he checks a lot of the boxes for me as a coach um, and doing that kind of thing. The only other coach I can think about that, that I work with personally that I watched, especially with deal with a lot of different personalities was Larry Brown in Detroit. I mean, you know, and we had, as BJ could tell you, we had a lot of different personalities on that team from Ben Wallace to Rasheed Wallace. Uh, you know, Rasheed was vocal, uh, beyond vocal and uh, but super smart as a player, uh, very headstrong. Ben Wallace was probably was no more headstrong player uh, <laughs> in our locker room and in the league at that time. Uh, you had Chauncey Billups, who was very charismatic. Rip He's Hamilton, now a head coach himself. himself. Exactly. Rip Hamilton, uh, who was really wired to score, and Tayshaun Prince was kind of that quiet, cerebral guy. But he had a way of reaching all of them and really – pulling the best out of each individual one. And he talked to them in one separate race. And he, and again, we bringing home the consistency of message. Every single day he preached, defend, rebound, and share the basketball. Those were non-negotiables once you stepped into a Pistons locker room when he was coaching. And again, we saw what that yielded and what that did uh, for that team and an organization. It, it resulted in going to two finals and winning one championship. So again, that's what you're looking for when you're hiring a coach and you, and you, what you're hoping as well too, that that coach is equally yoked, if you will, with the front office. So that messaging that is coming both out of the front office and the coaching side is unified. Um, I had a saying, you know, when, when I was in the front office that I that I said to our entire staff, we we want diversity of thought, but with unity of purpose. And that is, to me, is the key uh, when you're talking about managing a diverse group of people. And again, back to Eric Sposter is something that he does, and he does it very well. BJ, as, as a player, you know, there are some people who hold a philosophy that coaches can only coach a certain amount of seasons before players start to tune out their voice and whatnot. How has Eric Spolster mastered the art of longevity in his role? Because it looks like he's never going to leave Miami anytime soon. And every season, you know, he finds guys from the G League, the second round of the draft, undrafted players, and he helps them elevate. Well, as both of you guys know, who I, I speak to quite regularly, on the phone and every day, practically, you know, coaching comes down to me one simple thing, right? There's a lot of things and people have their things that they, that they, you know, they highlight or mean something. But when you are in a position of leadership, you know, I just boil it down to this one simple word. It requires courage to sit in that seat. 
You can't coach, especially in today's game, without courage. That's the, that's the you, you, you know, Scott and I, I've known Scott practically my entire life, okay? And Scott and I, in our friendship, we are truth tellers to one another. It takes courage. It takes courage to be able to say, hey, BJ, you're my guy. However, that takes real friendship. That's right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Eric Spolstra coaches with courage. Now, we can debate on his play calls. We can debate on his style of play. We can debate on all those things. However, that man has stepped up and he has led that team right, wrong, or indifferent. And he's done it with courage. Now, that to me is that says everything that I need to know about leadership at any level, whatever it is you need to do. Now, the thing about Coach Bowl that he's tapped in in all my years of experience, I said, well, what, what is he doing? Like, is this his play calls? Is it his people? Is people skills? Is it his understanding of the game? In my humble opinion, he stepped into to the secret, right? What's the what's the secret formula to coaching? The secret to, to coaching is the following. And I think every executive kind of knows this now in the NBA. When you go to Miami, you're going to get an A in the class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every player, every role player that goes to Miami gets an A. But when they go to another team, <laughs> I don't know what happens. <laughs> now, I just listened to my good friend Scott Perry talk about that with Larry Brown. There's something that you have in you where it's a selfless act where you say, whoever this person is, they're going to get an A in my class. That, that, that require that's a, that's a unique way of thinking. These play, some of these players that Miami have, they're not drafted. I don't know where they come from. They don't play. They don't play for other teams. They get cut by other teams. But when they go to the Miami Heat organization, something happens that's different than the other places. There must be somebody in the wallet down there in South now, Beach. And, 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 <laughs> now, and, and let me tell you something. And they get paid when they go to other places. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But when they go to the other places, they're not the same player. Nope. That to me, now he know now he's into the rarefied air of coaching. And Coach Spo and the Miami Heat have figured that out now. So congrats to Coach Spo. I've admired this man for many years. It, it should not, this is not an accident, right? I I, I happen to have played against. Pat Riley's coach teams, yeah. mm-hmm. he was phenomenal. And you can see what courage will do to an individual. It'll do to a player, to a person, and in this instance, to a coach. And it's a, one of the requirements that you have to have, especially when you are in a position of leadership. So to all the coaches, players, and people who want to lead, Coach Spo is another example. 
It's very few that, that do that. Very few that have the ability to do that, let alone the courage to do that. And to me, he has achieved that level of excellence that a few have had the opportunity to do because that is very difficult, my my friends, yeah. of, so, of what it is. No, so and, that's what and, I see. And indulge me just for one second to switch from the basketball form to the football form. And I think BJ knows where I'm going. I'm shooting out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're talking about coaching and courage. You know, yeah. uh, my, Mike Tomlin, who's the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who who was a friend in, in all uh, transparency. But I've had the opportunity to be around that team and that franchise for a number of years. And he has a saying, the standard is the standard. And to watch any, no matter when I drop in there, that is true. Everybody is held to that standard. They know the expectation and the courage that he has, that he demonstrates every single day. And just, you know, whether things are going well, not well, or just kind of even kill. And that is huge. That Again, that is leadership. You know, his ability to keep people together through turmoil, that is huge. And, and Spolster has been able to do that as well in, in Miami. Oh. If you, you know, my, it's, it's not all been smooth sailing in Miami. They hit rough patches during the year, but he continues to stick with the same message. He doesn't waver. Again, that consistency. And eventually that's going to take hold with your players. And then you know what happens? And BJ can speak to this here. Your players start talking that way in the huddle and, and, and in the mm-hmm. locker room mm-hmm. without the coach. Coach, you know, that's, that's coach, what we coach, step, yeah, coach said, yeah, yeah, that's what coach, your coach can step aside because you know what? Now the players are holding each other accountable to said standard. And cool. that's when you know you got something special. Bob Myers, I hope you're listening because Bob Myers recently switched from fo- uh, basketball to football. So then he's uh, picking the new coach of, what is it, the Commanders or something. So Bob, I hope you're listening. <laughs> but, you know, one one question I get from people, because they watch me, you know, break down film and, and talk about the game and stuff. And people ask me, have you ever considered coaching? Um, and, you know, Eric Spolster came from a similar background of, he works in the video room for the Miami Heat. And I say, no, I've not considered coaching. Number one, what I know about basketball is a fraction of what Eric Spolster knows about basketball. He's in a whole different league when it comes to that. Number two, I don't have a father who is a multi-year NBA executive um, who made sure that when Pat Riley signed with the Miami Heat, he wasn't allowed to hire a new video guy for the first two years so that his son wouldn't be fired. But aside from that, let me ask you guys this question because this is something I think about often. Scott, you said on a previous episode of the show that a coach's job is to take players to a place where that they couldn't take themselves. And from my perspective, if I'm hiring a coach, I would want preferably a former player who's achieved at the highest level to be my coach. Because how do you get players on your current squad to listen to someone who's never been there and done it themselves? Eric Spolster comes from working in a video room. He's not been out on the court in the NBA winning championships and being a star. So how do you get a superstar like Jimmy Butler or LeBron James or Dwayne Wade to actually give you that level of respect and understand that although you may not have been able to do it physically yourself, you can tell them how to do it to help them reach the peak of their powers. Again, you remember Eric Spoelstra has been tutored under Pat Riley for a number of years. Pat Riley has extreme respect 
throughout this league from former players, current players, current executives, former executives throughout. So I'm sure that, you know, that was helpful in the beginning when you make that introduction, guys will look at him and say, okay, he's coming from the Pat Riley tree, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then to Eric Spolster's credit, I'm sure his communication style came is a way that not talking like from a former player, but just as a, a, a former person working in the midst of all of this greatness, if you will, and watching teams that were successful and other teams that weren't successful, being able to impart that knowledge uh, to his players and you can get buy-in from your players. So I don't, it doesn't have to be a former player to be able to do that. Yeah. Does a former player have that in his arsenal, in his bag to be able to say that to other players? Yes, he does. But that former player needs more than just his past experiences to show to the players. Again, like I said at the very beginning, you set a standard of performance and you hold everybody accountable to that. That's one through 15. You can't have one set of standards for your star players and another set of standards for your role players. Everybody's got a, there's, there's a certain level of expectation that everybody must meet. And so I don't care who the coach is, you have to have that. And your communication has to be consistent and clear because I, I you talk about giving letter grades out. I used to say this when I was a college coach, I'll give you an example. I, I can remember uh, when I was assistant at university of Michigan and we used to meet every day before practice and uh, we would plan practice, but you know, part of our discussions in that meeting, we're talking about players and how they're doing in the classroom and their progress reports and all. And, uh, you know, so you invariably have a couple of players that were struggling in class, uh, you know, so-and-so is failing this, he's going to need the help, it's the help, tutor, whatever the case may be. And I can always remember saying in one of those meetings, uh, because one of us, uh, uh, my fellow coaches has said, well, as we were playing in practice, well, we can slip this in, the guys won't really recognize that. And I said, oh, hold on a minute, time out, time out. I said, I know we just got done talking about who was getting an A or, or D or whatever in, in biology and English. I said, but let me explain something to you because I know this directly from the players. Every last one of our players is an A student when it comes to studying our message and listening to our message. They are looking for any inconsistency from what any of us may say. So let's not ever assume that we can get anything over them. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a mistake that coaches can make thinking that they are above or smarter than the players. No, your players are all A students when it comes to analyzing you. And the ones that could be slightly behind, guess what? Their teammates are going to bring them up to speed and say, no, no, young fella, you're missing that. This is what's really being said and what's really going on. So that to me, uh, I, I think back to Spol you know, Eric Spolster, he has figured that out very well he's and he stayed true to his own personality and B, and i'm sure bj can tell you this and you know this too mo even though he had all of pat riley's backing he could not be pat riley mm -hmm. he had to find his own voice voice and be eric spolster pat riley's tutelage helped you know i'm sure provide a good base for him 
but he's been able to stay true to who he is as a person. Because if a player and your players think you're trying to be somebody other than who you are, you're going to hmm. lose them right away. Absolutely. So when I'm a GM, I'm not going to be Scott Perry or BJ Armstrong. I'm going to be Mo and I'm going to start every press conference with, you know, the vibes. And guess what? You, if you win enough, that's going to work just fine. Hey, <laughs> all we do is win. Exactly. <laughs> well, elsewhere around the league this week, we've got a lot to talk about today. Elsewhere around the league, um, a report from the NBA, um, uh, you know, uh, investigation that they that they dived into recently, well, over the course of many years now, they've been collecting the data, said that there is no correlation between players being load management and reducing the risk of them getting injured. And we looked at the numbers of how many games superstars missed and how many games players missed in total over the past, how it was it, 20 years in the study. And obviously now we see record levels of games being missed by players, but the load management uh, phenomenon, which is where players don't, don't play in certain games to kind of preserve themselves for the rest of the season and the playoffs isn't actually being seen to be helping. Um, I wanted to know this from you, Scott, because when, when I talk mm -hmm. to people about load management, I talk to players about load management and they say, no, we want to play, but you know, our teams are telling us we've got to rest this game. You know, the trainer says we've got to rest. The coach says the front office says we've got to rest. When I talk to front office and coaches and trainers, they say, no, we want the guys to play, but they want to rest. So Scott, I'm going to ask you straight up from behind the scenes, who is behind all of this low management in the NBA? <laughs> I, in true, all truthfulness, Mo, I think it, it varies from organization to organization. Talking to Scott Perry, when you sign a contract with the team I'm with, it says you're going to play 82 games. That's what the NBA season is and whatever playoff games is going to be. So that's going to always be my expectation. Now, I would never want to put a player at risk, but the, <clears throat> the whole tenor of our organization is that, you know, you're going to play. And the expectation is you're going to play each and every night. And, the, you know, and, and I think your medical staff, that you're letting the medical staff know that our expectations and our guys are going to play. Again, we don't want to put anybody at risk. If somebody is hurt, we're not going to put you out there. But it's different being hurt versus being sore, uh, uh, you know, an agging ache, uh, 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 nagging ache here or there. That's, you know, that, that's something, separate, you know, different. And I think the league is getting this right, you know, and, and finally, because there is no empirical science that says, okay, low management definitely uh, is going to help keep guys from being injured in games. Uh, you know, I, I'll give you just a little historical, you know, at least this is my vantage point. Again, I'm not a doctor, but I just can recall in, in the era that I was coming up, I didn't play in the NBA, played in college, but then, you know, obviously BJ played. If I'm not mistaken, BJ, you guys used to fly commercial, yes. correct? And yep. you were playing. You were playing 82 games. So, and you had more back-to-backs then than there are now, for sure. And but when you played a back-to-back -back then, you couldn't fly out right after the game that night. No private time, jet, right? There was no <laughs> private jet. You were flying that next morning and then playing that same day that you arrived. So. <clears throat> As I've kind of done my own little analysis in this area, I mean, you know, again, and you had guys playing more games and especially your star players, you know, they were all pushing to play 82 games. 
What I think has changed now is that the the I was going to say science departments, but the medical departments of each and every team have grown exponentially. So you have a lot of different thoughts and ideas uh, uh, about what goes into preserving a player's wellness over a nine month uh, uh, stretch. And so when you get those competing thoughts, if you will, I think that's why you get certain teams that, you know, that low management, those departments may weigh, may, excuse me, may weigh a little heavier with front office and coaches and they decide to sit said players. What the league has done now is said, okay, well, if you're going to be considered all NBA or for MVP or whatever, we're going to set a bar of 65 games that you got to play now. Unfortunately, so the whole, it, 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 yeah, to, <laughs> to, to, to minimize, hopefully to minimize yeah. some of that wrestling. I personally, I would like to seen it at 70 games myself, yeah. but 65. I mean, it's, it's bad for fans who pay money to go to the games. It's bad for the TV broadcasters who pay a lot of money, um, you know, to broadcast these games if the star players aren't playing. But as you alluded to talking about when BJ played, they were flying commercial. So that's just on regular mm -hmm. airlines. They didn't mm -hmm. have all the team chefs and the masseuse and the chirotherapy right. chamber and all of this stuff that we have now. However, when you look at the data in the eighties and nineties, star players, the group defined by being an all-star or all NBA selection missed on average 10 and a half games per season. Mm -hmm. This decade since 2020, it's 24 games per season. So mm -hmm. the schedule is still 82 games. Life is easier in terms of, you know, the transport and the medical facilities and the rehabilitation and the, the masseuses after the game and everything. Technology and science is better. BJ, why are players missing more than double the amount of games hmm. now than they did hmm. in, in the 80s? Keep it on <laughs> This is Dr. Armstrong, you ask That's a loaded question. If I knew that question, then man, we, we'd all be sitting man, I should have asked Ben Simmons. With, he was in Paris yeah. last week, too. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I really don't know. And I mean, I I can speculate and and just like everyone else, you know, I can I can begin to speculate. So oh, back when we played, but I'm I'm not going down that path. I I think now it's it's a different era, um, and what I mean it's a different era is, you know, I think it was Scott, one of you guys said the main thing has to remain the main thing. Eighty two games is eighty two games, mm -hmm. and in my humble opinion, and I say this with great humility, you have to play a style that can allow you to play 82 games. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. I, I'm just going to, at the current pace and space that I observe, just with, as an ex-player, ex-executive, and ex-watching the game, it's impossible to play at that pace for 82 games. It's impossible to play an entire game at that pace for 82 games. I mean, for an entire game, let alone 82 games. When I came into this league as a as an amateur player, as a collegiate player, I was introduced to this word called professionalism that I had to learn very quickly. Like, what's the difference from playing a 35-game schedule to an 82-game schedule 
plus the playoffs, travel, and all of the things that you guys mentioned. So I had to find out very quickly what it what what is it what does it really take to be a professional and what is being a professional is all about. And what I learned very quickly, like literally my first week on the job, is three things that happens when you are a professional. You have to learn how to compete. If you want to stay a professional, you got to win. Okay. And while you're playing those games, you have to entertain because you are in the business. You are in the entertainment business. Okay. I'm going to say that again. You have to compete, meaning you can't win every game, but you certainly better try to win every game. You better learn how to do that. Then you, after you learn how to compete, you better start winning some games. Because these executives like Scott Perry, if you don't win enough games, he's going to get you out of there. <laughs> it's a cold world. It's okay. Cold world. And then <laughs> while they're charging these $2,000, $3,000 for courtside tickets. Oh, it's way more be, than that, you, B. Yeah, oh, you want to enter. That's what I'm saying. I'm just trying to say on the average in this league, you better mm-hmm. have some entertaining moments during the course of the game. Mm-hmm. That's just what, that's what professional sports is all about. Now, Somehow, in my humble opinion, we've we're doing more entertaining now than actually competing and winning and doing these things. There's an imbalance that I see happening in professional sports where the entertainment side of the business suddenly now has become our business. Well, I don't really have to play 82. I'll just play when the playoffs begin. Because that's all that really matters anyway. Well, I'll not play because, you know, if it was, quote, a playoff game, I would play. But because it's a regular season game, (laughs) these are things I'm just observing. Do do you think playing through, you know, because there's injuries, but there's also just, you know, having an ache, having a pain, having a knock. Do you think playing through those things conditions your body to give you that durability? And if you're a player now who rests, whenever you are not feeling 100%, it makes you more fragile. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, I, was gonna, I I think so. Look, that's what training camp is all about. When guys come to training camp, invariably you're going to be sore. And again, going back in time where there were way more tour days, but you're building your body up to be able to withstand the rigor. So, you know, so there's soreness entering into your body, right, BJ, after the first couple of days of practice. That's the whole point of going to training camp is to learn how to play when you are not at 100%. That's the point. Mm -hmm. You're never at 100%. The fact when I hear people say, well, you know, I I could play if it was a playoff game, but I just (laughs) want to get healthy and get totally healthy before I get back Mm -hmm. on the court. You're like, that's called mental toughness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. That's that's why you do it. Okay. Hey, man, I ain't really got it today. But I know this game means just as much today that it will mean next week. Or I got to figure out that every game, every day provides a different competitive view. But also, is- out how to figure it, you got to figure out how to win that game today. So it, it, it's a challenge every single day you walk on the court. So when I see that and I hear that, I go, well, that's a little different. That's a little odd. The part you know? that's, that's 
confusing to me. As Scott said, if he signs a player to a contract, you've got to play 82 games. Professional sports is the only job in the world where if you don't feel like doing your job, you don't have to do your job. If I, BJ, if we only recorded shows on days where I felt 100%, we would have recorded zero episodes ever. Because I never feel 100%, <laughs> right? I don't sleep. I'll be working all the time. Like, being an NBA is like the only place where if you just don't feel like doing your job, you can put on a fancy outfit and sit on the sidelines and they all come and take pictures of you anyway. And it doesn't matter if your team wins or loses. Because if you lose, oh, our best player wasn't playing, we'll win when he's back in the lineup. Like, to me, it, it baffles me that if you just don't feel like it, oh, I'm load managing today. Oh, it's a back-to-back. We flew in late last night. I'm not playing today. I just, you know... I feel for all the fans that pay the money to watch the games and then their favorite players aren't there. I, I had a coach who used to always say this, guys. You can't get wet from the word water. You got to jump in there. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay. okay. You, you, right. you, 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 you're not going to know what this NBA is really all about until you jump in there and you see what it's really about. It's nothing that I can say, Scott can say, Mo can say, even Coach Spoke can say about the NBA mm -hmm. because you're not going to know what it's really about until you jump in there. And that is your responsibility that you said when you wanted to become a professional player. You know, one of the things that I used to always say, the number one ability for a player is availability. There you go. Mm -hmm. Remember that, Mo. And, and your the number one ability, okay, all that high flying, running, jumping, dunking, three point shooting. If you're only doing it for 45 games, what good is that really going to do for, for us, for the team? You know? So, no, the number one ability is availability. Absolutely. Um, so, it's that time of the week where hopefully, the teams we talk about have their players available. And this is the team that we're focusing in on and watching this week. Well, both throw those jabs in quick. He throw yeah. those jabs in quick. Mo must have been a boxer in his former life, right? Exactly. So, you know, when we were sitting down to record the show, um, Scott said to me, Mo, which team are you going to talk about this week? I said the Utah Jazz. He said, same. So let's start by talking about the Utah Jazz because they're on a heater right now. They beat the Sixers, the Bucks, the Nuggets, and the Raptors. All of those victories by double digits. That win versus the Raptors, they crushed them on the rebounding battle, but they also had five players who had five or more assists. So the ball is really moving. And the reason why they're intriguing me so much right now, with a month until the trade deadline, they're currently in the 10th spot, meaning they're a playing team. They're only three and a half games out of a guaranteed playoff spot. This week, they're playing the Warriors, the Thunder, and the Rockets. Now, if they if if they win those games, I think it's, the Rockets might be next week, but they're playing a, yeah, but a bunch of Western Conference teams this week. But if they win those games, extend this four-game winning streak to seven, eight games, and they're in the eight, seven, six seed, they go from being a team at the deadline where everyone's trying to poach, they're trying to get... How many uh, draft picks do you want for Lauren Marketing? How can we get Kelly Olenek to add to our bench? How can we get this player, that player? They go from that to being a team, well, we're going to be in the playoffs. We may as well make a run at it. So I'm looking at the Utah Jazz. What have you guys seen from them, Scott, um, as they were a team you were big on this week? No question. They're 10-2 in their last 12 games. 
Lori Marketing, who's a name obviously that you've heard a lot about um, as a potential trade guy, but look, the guy was just an all-star last year and he's averaging 24 and nine again this year. And he's a young player. Uh, so to me, it would have to be something awful, awful special to get rid of him. Jordan Clarkston, once again, is right in the thick of things for six man of the year. He's playing terrific off the bench, averaging 18 and five assists. Uh, what I'm also seeing is they're getting contributions up and down the roster. I believe they got six guys averaging double figures. And I think they're starting Chris Dunn now. He's not averaging double figures, but he's giving them good minutes as a starting point guard. He can defend at the point of attack. Um, and so I like how they've gone deep into the bench. Colin Sexton, uh, as, you know, as a competitor, he plays hard each and every night. Uh, they, you know, they've rookie, the rookie, uh, Keontae George has played mm -hmm. really well. And uh, and they're getting good minutes out of him, so I think what they're gonna they're gonna continue to figure out. Okay, who is gonna be the core moving forward? But they have something in place, and and let me not be remiss in giving uh, Coach Will Hardy some credit. I think he's Absolutely. done a, a, a very good job with uh, really utilizing his entire roster. You know, he's not just locked into the same rotation if things aren't going well he's he's not he's unafraid and as bj and i talked earlier today about you know one of the great qualities of any coach is showing some courage he shows some courage over on that sideline to to do what's right and and not be afraid to make some change and i'm excited to see what they're going to do this week because it, it is it is a huge week for them they can go from being 20 and 20 at the time of this recording and do they go four games over 500 do they fall four games below or do they stay at 500 let's let's watch and see it's exciting bj you seen the much of the utah jazz recently what are you thinking well you know guys the, the, the best part about being a professional is that you prepare for everything and during the course of the season the length of the season you're going to see some good things you're going to see some bad things you're going to see everything in between i think this team has done a really good job of just weathering the storm because last year they got off to this quick start and they had some expectations. Danny Ainge, he tinkered a little bit with the roster over the summer and they've had some injuries. Lori marketing was out so forth and so on. And then suddenly over the last 10, 12 games or so, you know, you look up there, what 10th place or something, somewhere yeah, around there. Place, tenth <laughs> okay. place. Yeah. The 10th place. Right. Had, had so, the Lakers and the Warriors. The thing I, I love about being a the one thing I loved about being a professional is that you have to learn how to never let your emotions get in the way of doing your job. When things are bad, you can't get down. When things are good, you can't get too hot. You got to figure out how to get the job done with this critical sand, no matter what. Mm -hmm. A champion is going to figure it out no matter what mm -hmm. obstacle you put in between them. Now, this team right here, mm -hmm. the 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 Utah Jazz, they've shown me they have a little persistence with them. They got a little toughness. Now I gotta take them serious, going, all right, they're not a team that started off good, started off hot, and then they're just playing because they're playing well. They actually lost some games. They actually we're kind of like, you know, Laurie marketing was in the news just a week ago talking about maybe he's on the trading block. And all of a sudden you go, they got a little toughness. 
there's something as Scott and I like to say is an example. There's something inside of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's something that, yeah. now you got to say this team got a little something about them. So mm-hmm. what they've shown me is that they've done a really good job as an organization is putting together a group of professionals because it's very easy to just jump on board when things are going well. But now I've seen this team kind of dig themselves out of a ditch. And now you're saying they might be in the play-in. I mean, think about this. They might be in the they're above of they're above the Lakers, I think, right now. If I looked at the Lakers and the Warriors. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's something there. Clearly, they have talent. I think you guys, you know, give the coach credit. There's some leadership there. And now you're saying you know, what this team is about. So I, I think that's a great yeah. choice, but I want to give those yeah. guys credit because I love it when I see young people exhibit confidence, but more importantly, yeah, they have the mental toughness to do it because we yeah. talk about these things, but, you know, it's it's one thing to talk about it and then it's another thing to go out there and actually perform it. That was the word I was thinking about is there's a team confidence now and that can be very dangerous for, for opponents. You know, not, they believe... <laughs> They believe now that they can go any night they go into yeah. a game that they can win. And that's a big part of the battle. And Scott, you and I being from Detroit, and we love boxing. And you know what? When you get punched and you get see somebody get off that mat, that means you're still in a fight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. And right uh-huh. now, the Utah Jazz, they should have been knocked out by now. They should already be talking about the lottery, the draft, the draft <laughs> and right. all these things. And they was like, no, we still here. We still That's fighting. Right. So That's I right. love the character of this group and what they stand for, because that is very hard to do, guys, and give those guys yeah. credit. So, BJ, which team are you looking at this week? And don't well, say the Pistons, please. Well, I, 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 I am well, looking at we're my We're about to see 28 more losses. No, I'm not trying to see that. <laughs> You know, I'm looking at these Lakers mm-hmm. right now. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm looking at these Lakers. You know, I, 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 I want to get real. I want to, I want to take mm-hmm. a real shot at this. I love taking shots at the, the Lakers. At, at, mm-hmm. at, at the essence of any relationship is love. That's the essence of it. Right now, the Lakers to me are at a critical moment as a team where some of those players are at in their careers, because they don't have four or five years left with this group. This isn't a group that's going to be good. They might just have this year. if LeBron goes might, Whatever it is. Okay. But love is the essence of any relationship. And when you want to, when you go through tough moments in anything, you got to love it to keep on going <clears throat> right now, guys, the Lakers, either this is going to work or this is just going to be, it's going to be over. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything in between with this group because where their two best players is at, are at, talking about LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they are in, they're in it right now. They're As far as their career, where they're at. The players they've surrounded surrounded them with the role players they are there to support those two players and right now those those guys 
This team has got to figure this out. And I'm, I'm just watching from afar. But Scotty, if they don't figure this out quickly, this could be a disaster of a season for them. And here's why I say that. It's because in order to get something, if you make a trade, you got to give up something. Okay, you, you got to give mm-hmm. up something. You can't just. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to give you this, 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 and then we're going to get a starter back. No, that's not how this exactly. works. Right. So this team doesn't have a lot. You know, the window is closing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, Le- LeBron is 39. And I say this, Mo, you've been hearing me say this for years now. Just give me what you got at 39. Anthony Davis, you, you know, he's been healthy this year and hopefully he'll be healthy for the next whatever years he plays every year right now i'm concerned about this team and where they're going because this team wasn't put together to just get to the playoffs this team was put together to have a shot to try to win the whole thing oh i'm pretty sure now they're not even in the play right now and i'll say the last thing they're not even in the play-in game right now right so i think it's a i think there's major concern what's going on out here in Lakerland and I hope that they turn it around but it's not looking good right now guys I'm pretty sure the clutch mm-hmm. Lakers are going to find a way to get DeJounte Murray oh, over there oh, <laughs> oh. hey I, I just caught it, it, it like just... I see it B come on <laughs> time will tell we got a month until the trade deadline yeah but you know to get a major starter like that I, I don't know if the, the Lakers have enough assets again to get him and, and he's a very good player I like DeJounte Murray um, but if you're Atlanta uh, and you're going to be entertaining offers from around the league right. and you're not going to, you got to do what's best for your organization and you're not going to be compelled to, to take a discount to send him to the Lakers just because that's going to help the Los Angeles. Well, Lakers. I mean, I mean, those, well, a player... those, those guys got, you know, those guys jobs on the line down there in the front office in, in, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So they got to make, if they're going to trade him, they better get back a starting level player and some assets. In Austin my Re- and they got to at least get back opinion. Austin Reeves, Reeves. yeah, mm-hmm. and those type of players. So that's what I'm saying. So yeah. I just think it's at they're at a point and a critical moment in time where at some point you got to say, is this the group that can push it over the top? Yeah. At some point, it's not like you know we're saying well they have room for improve. This is who they are currently, mm-hmm. and this is probably who they're going to be. Right, you hoping they can maintain this level of play. However, right now, as the famous quote, "We are who we are." This is who they are right now, mm-hmm. and what is going to be necessary to push them over the top. And right now, that means they're going to have to add more depth to their roster because currently, as is, they're not capable of getting it done. Scott, seeing as I took the Utah Jazz, which is the team you're looking at then this week. <laughs> Well, one of the teams that are going to play this week and this below them is the Golden State Warriors. We just got done talking about the Lakers being one of them, but I think Golden State, as we currently speak, sits at number 12. And so I'm anticipating this week, I think, the return of Draymond Green, even though it hasn't been announced uh, officially, but I would assume that he will hit the floor at some point and let's, you know, see what type of impact uh, 
that he can have. They had a big win in Chicago last night going on the road. They did not play well on their long homestand, which really put them in the, you know, helped put them in the current position that they're in right now. But uh, look, you know, time has really run out on this team too, as well as what we're talking about with the Lakers. There's major concerns with this team. Um, and uh, let's, if they don't make a stand now, uh, then I think you're going to be, you know, looking at a team that's going to be making a lot of change, whether it's at the deadline or entering into the summer. Well, they're, they're 12th, the Lakers are 11th. Which team finishes higher in the regular season standings and which team goes further in the playoffs? <laughs> you're assuming they're both going to make the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> well, this is, you tell me. Exactly. You because, tell me. because, right, yeah, but see, again, who who's going to fall out? So you got to hope, you know, if you're the Lakers and Golden State, is you, I sit you're, and, you're and praying the, the Jazz lose. <laughs> the, 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 so the so the Jazz who just recently entered into that realm, okay, that you're gonna hope that they're gonna fall out, and you're gonna hope maybe Houston with them being a young team, but Houston has been very good at home. Um, but if I had to pick one, I'm gonna say the Lakers have a little better chance of finishing stronger than the Warriors. Just, you know, they got more size, you know, with Davis and LeBron and, you know, some of the, the backups there. Um, I just think if they can keep it, you know, they'll figure out a way to stay in that playing mix. You know, I know they went that route last year, playing all the way to the conference finals. That's not the preferred uh, method, but uh, they've done it. I just think, uh, and if they matched up against one another right now, I would uh, slightly favor the Lakers over the, Warriors, despite Golden State's, you know, vast championship experience, you know, obviously LeBron's got a lot mm -hmm. of it himself, but uh, but still, I just think from a talent perspective and size perspective, uh, and this kind of at least the Lakers have shown me this year a stretch, even though it was a small stretch. And when we talked about that in season tournament, they showed an ability to raise their level up and and, and and play well for a couple of weeks there. So I, I think the I'm Lakers, the Lakers are positioned to be able to make a move in terms of trading much better than the Warriors. Cause the Warriors, you have Steph Clay Draymond who they've seemed pretty reluctant to move. Then you've got Chris Paul who's injured. And the only player that they could really then move is Andrew Wiggins, who still has four years left on his contract with more money coming in every year. He looks like he's regressed massively. I don't know what's going on with him outside of basketball, but on the court at least, he's not playing how he did in the year that they made their championship run. And then the rest of their roster is, you know, Gary Payton, Kevon Looney, and then it's their rookies, Kaminga, uh, not, not the rookies, but the players they drafted, Kaminga and Moody, who's supposed to be their future, and then it's a bunch of minimum guys. Whereas the mm -hmm. Lakers, you've got D'Angelo Russell, you've got Rui Hachimura, you've got Gabe Vincent, you've got pieces that you could package together in a trade to move. So I think they're set up for things to be theoretically easier at the trade deadline than it is for the Golden State Warriors, um, largely because they've not tried to commit to two timelines like Golden State has. But only time will tell. BJ, who do you think is going to have a better finish to the season, the Lakes or the Warriors? Well, I, I was surprised in listening to Scott's answer. I, I, I would have thought that Scott would have picked Golden State to mm -hmm. finish better. And here's why I say that is because during the course of a regular season game, right, with travel, the Golden State Warriors play a style or brand of basketball that resembles or rewards people who shoot threes and they play faster. When you watch the Lakers, and I and I watch them quite frequently living out here, is they suddenly now have a 39-year-old point guard 
who's playing that position. And that's unfair to think that he can provide that level of pace mm-hmm. through the course of the game during a regular season. However, now when you get to the playoffs, I think, you know, that's a different game. But in the way the regular season plays, as I was just watching them just last game, you know, you when you start running this team and getting them out there, they just don't play with the player with the exception of LeBron James, who plays downhill. Well, the Warriors last night, they were down, what, 15, 20 points, and they came back and won just because, you know, you know, as parking lot period would tell you, sometimes that three ball is going in, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that will cover up a lot of mistakes. But, I, I, I mean, I think the Warriors probably, once they get Draymond back in the fold, they probably, I think, during the course of a regular season, are probably a better team to get through the regular season in the way that we play today. However, I think the Lakers, if they were to get to the playoffs, are, would probably be a better team that would play in the playoffs. But mm-hmm. you got to do the regular season before you get there. So I, I think the Warriors right now will probably get through the regular season a little better just because they play a style of play. I think they probably bring Wiggins back into the starting fold. I think they probably put Draymond back with Looney and do all those things. And they, they'll win, you know, they'll play 500 basketball, maybe six, you know, 60% basketball moving forward. And I think that'll be enough to at least get them in the play in moving forward. Oh, those are good points. There's no question about it. I, I, I guess what, if you had asked me this a week and a half ago, I might've said Golden State, but I got really concerned when I watched I think it was Toronto and then uh, New Orleans come in there back to back and mm. beat the Warriors by 30 plus almost, you know, each at home. And mm-hmm. um, I, again, I, I know there was no Draymond, but there's something just missing there. And, and mm-hmm. again, I, I, I keep feeling like, and, and, and both of them are guilty of this, meaning the, the, uh, uh, the Lakers and Golden State, but both teams uh, uh, Golden State in particular seems like they're still trying to grab back at yesteryear and how everybody used to play and everybody you know was before and I just I think you're reaching back to something that's not going to be there consistently anymore and um, so we'll we'll see that's that's why we got to still play the games (laughs) man I can't wait to see let us know in the discord server who you think is going to have a stronger finish to the season the Lakers or the Warriors either way I'm going to be very happy as long as both of them are miserable and at the bottom of the standings so Scott thank you for joining us once again here at the Hoop Genius podcast BG and I are going to be rocking with you guys for the rest of the week so make sure you subscribe on YouTube Apple Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from already looking forward to next Monday's show Appreciate both of you, and until next time, get buckets.